Hey everyone, back again. It's been quite a few years since I've done this, so it's time to update my top 10 favorite books list. I did this in like 2020 or 2021, and we're due for another one. But before jumping into it, hi, if you're new here, I'm David. I explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new, like, share, subscribe. You'll see videos I release every week, sometimes twice a week. Sometimes they have videos, sometimes they're just audio. If it's just audio, you can find it on a podcast platform under all the same names. And you can just listen to the audio where there shouldn't be any ads. Although there are issues with that. In any case, if you found this as an audio form, as an audio form, you can find the video for it on YouTube if you're interested in that. And yeah, without further ado, let me give you an update of my favorite books and those that I think that are the most important for people to read, even though a lot of people would disagree. But I want you to tell me what your favorite ones are. What do you think are absolutely indispensable texts people should read in the history of philosophy, in the history of social thought. I really want to keep increasing my library and knowing what I have to read, what I haven't read. So please take the time, let me know. So coming in at number one, a new one that was not featured on the first list. I'm not going to say every time when it's new, but in any case, Trisha Rose's Black Noise that surveys the history of hip hop and hip hop culture all throughout the northeastern United States from 60s and 70s onward. Super fascinating text that Trisha Rose really demonstrates her ability to perform very deep historical excavations of a very complicated topic and situating the emergence in this case of hip-hop within the broader context of anti-black racism, of deindustrialization in the United States, of creative efforts on the part of urban black youth to create new music that was resonated with their experiences, not to mention as well the trinity or the four-pronged element of hip-hop culture comprised of breakdancing, graffiti, scratching, and rap music, really bringing all of these elements together, really amazing text that I recommend to anybody. It reads so well, and Trisha Rose is just without parallel. Second, and I'm going to sound like a douche when I say this, but Marx's Capital, Volume 3. And you're like, what the? Volume 3? This is Volume 1. The reason Volume 3 is my favorite of those volumes, and I think is a super important text, is that it has all of the theoretical underpinnings that Volume 1 has, but more of them. And the depth of Marx's theoretical investigation of the implications of the capitalist mode of production on people's minds and their lives is really fleshed out in a lot of detail in this one. Not to mention he also gives hints and illustrations of what a post-capitalist future might actually look like. But you know, you gotta read, I know this is a weird suggestion, you gotta read, you know, volumes one and two, but really it's my favorite. I if you if you haven't read it, please do. Third. Deleuze and Guattari's A Thousand Plateaus. Now, this text is unlike any other in that it just covers so much. From one chapter to the next, you know, you're reading about strange musical composition and theory in of the refrain, and then you're talking about early states all the way down to Ketelhayek and Jericho and any, maybe not Jericho, I can't remember if they mentioned that, but like Gobekli Tepe, like it's, like what 
They talk about so much. And that's what's really so profoundly interesting about this book in that they are able to really demonstrate their eclectic breadth of knowledge, being able to touch upon all of these topics and dig into them in a lot of detail, but also to really highlight the implications of all of these different areas and various transformations in these areas to help us understand the world today. And it's really amazing. I really, I prefer it to Anti-Oedipus because Anti-Oedipus is really singularly focused on you know, psychoanalysis, Freudian psychoanalysis, whereas A Thousand Plateaus is talks about so much. Highly recommend. You don't need to read Anti-Oedipus before A Thousand Plateaus if you wanted to. You know, it makes sense. Really, A Thousand Plateaus, amazing, amazing text. Next, Franz Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth. I think for many people, Black Skin, White Masks is Franz Fanon's really key text, and in a lot of ways it is. However, there's something mysterious about the Wretched of the Earth that appeals to me much more than Black Sea and White Mass, not to mention in the Wretched of the Earth, Franz Fanon lays out what resistance to colonial power might actually look like and what the future holds and really what it means to conduct anti-colonial resistance, which is, to me, it reads as though Franz Fanon is not holding back in this text, whereas in Black Skin, White Masks, he's more like describing an issue. In The Wretched of the Earth, he's describing how to confront and oppose that issue, i.e. European colonialism. Really amazing, amazing text. You must read it. You probably got to read Black Skin, White Masks first, but if you can get to The Wretched of the Earth, you really should. Next. Michel Foucault's Madness and Civilization, and now I flip-flop on which Foucault text to include. You know, they are just all so good, and each, like, Foucault and his ability to, to write clearly, which might seem strange to people, like Foucault writing clearly, there's just something about his prose that attracts me like no other author I mention here. Not to mention his ability to really dig into the implications of various historical transformations, however minuscule they are, in helping us make sense of what we take for granted today, what we just assume to be normal. Foucault has an ability, unlike anyone else, to demonstrate why we think the way we do and to pinpoint where this came from and to highlight the domino effect that ensued to really give us a picture of what happened today. Now, Madness and Civilization really sticks out to me just because of his esoteric insight into the treatment of mental illness that is just so common today, specifically the dehumanization that occurs. And I think that it is just very, very important to understand and grapple onto. Like, of course, discipline and punish is indispensable as well. Like, between the two, it's probably really a tie, but for some reason, I just always gravitate to Madness and Civilization. Number six. I don't know if I've been numbering them. Anyways, number six, Queer Phenomenology by Sarah Ahmed. Now this text, super important for anyone trying to understand how the history of philosophy, specifically phenomenology from Kant to Heidegger, uh, and you know, we gotta insert Husserl in there. How phenomenology, how it claims to be somewhat of a neutral project and that it's just describing appearances as they appear to us, describing phenomena subjectively Sarah Ahmed is able to demonstrate that actually, well, our ability to even think about the world in such a way is bound up with certain power relations that reflect certain interests, notably white European interests, that instead of 
just receiving the world neutrally, as phenomenology might suggest, actually seek to bend and warp that world to meet their gaze, to meet their expectations. So their perception that they are receiving the world neutrally and that is being studied through phenomenology does less to actually capture a neutral world and more to impose an idea upon that world that can be then confirmed by its being studied. Amazing text. And there are, you know, Sarah Ahmed has so many texts that I think could make this list. The Cultural Politics of Emotion is a runner up here, but the really amazing stuff. Number seven, Enya Lumba's Colonialism slash Postcolonialism. Now, this text is strange to include in that it is more of like an introductory literature view of many different theories about colonialism. So it's not like the most novel contribution to the field. However, this text, I think, is able to illuminate the problem of colonialism, the many problems of it, in a way that other people are just incapable of doing. In that Annie Alumba is able to so precisely recount such a broad history and to collate that history, to organize that history and deliver it in a way to really make it available and accessible to almost anybody. Sure, it helps if you have previous knowledge of this stuff, that'll help a lot. But this text is like anyone interested in colonialism or post-colonial studies, I recommend. And it's for that reason I can't omit it here. Like it is, it has been so useful for me in developing my knowledge here and I always return to it. It's probably one of my most returned to texts whenever I'm writing something or studying something like it is just, it's instrumental for me to exist as an academic and an activist and really to exist as a human. Number eight is Kelly Oliver's Witnessing Beyond Recognition. Now this text, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you have not, is really the crux of my own academic mind in that Kelly Oliver offers us a way to understand how different people have different perspectives about things, which might not seem like a totally novel or radical theory. I mean, we, we know this. People have different experiences in the world and different ways of understanding the world. But what she does is really draw upon the history of philosophy from Hegel all the way up to today to demonstrate that there is an obsession with difference. And in this text, what she does is really try to bridge the gap between difference and to find value in bringing people together, even if you know they don't necessarily have the same experiences. And she does this by offering us an idea of witnessing, to be able to be privy, to be exposed to someone else's experiences and to embrace epistemic humility. That is to say, being able to shut up and just listen to someone tell you something and be prepared to sit uncomfortably, uneasy, while accepting what they are saying and trying to learn from it. Also understanding your own subject position and being able to wrestle with how various relations contribute to and different subject positions contribute to ongoing histories of oppression and discrimination that specifically target racialized people, gender minorities, you know, anyone, and so many other communities. Now, number nine is still the critique of pure reason by Immanuel Kant. This text, you know, despite everything I've said so far and being generally critical about 
phenomenology. If we can call Kant a phenomenologist, a lot of ways we can, but this text, like no other, just changed my perception of life, the world, and my existence. Uh, and it just completely overhauled how I engage in the world. There, there's been no text that's like fundamentally changed my existence of myself and existing in the world like Immanuel Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. Whether or not it actually provides any kind of template to you know, perform any action or to exist differently in the world, that's another question. Just on a personal level, like profound stuff that I'm so glad I read. And finally, number 10, the text that I probably like the most is Roberto Colasso's The Ruin of Kosh, in which he demonstrates the power of myth and ritual and tradition in shaping human consciousness, shaping human society, but also opposing various efforts at trying to scientifically map, construct, contain the world and people. Roberto Colasso is very good at demonstrating how myth, how tradition and ritual continue to today, even though we constantly try to get rid of it, to exercise myth away, to exercise our attachment to the unknown away, where for him, we are always going to have one foot in the unknown. And it's silly to try and do away with that. In fact, we have to try and embrace it. And it's what makes us human to strive to understand the unknown and to allow that to shape us while never fully claiming to actually being able to arrive at that unknown. And yeah, that's my list. I mean, I would love to hear what anyone has to say about it. What are your top 10? Like the comment section is there for a reason. You can leave a long comment. I'd love to read whatever text you'd love to throw in there. If you want to explain why for each one, I read every single comment. I don't have the time to respond to every single one, but really I'd love to read everything you have. And you know, if you sell it to me enough, I might even cover it on the channel. So go ahead and do that. If you like what I did, like, share, subscribe, and I'll catch you next time. Take care.